0: Chapter 10. What to do now? She thought this as she stepped back into the light. she had spent the last few hours in discussion with her contact here, a slob of a man whose presence she remembered having to endure on one other occasion. Her quarry, she was told, was dead, crushed to death in an accident. She had asked to see the bodies, but the man had informed her that it was too late, they had been buried almost a week ago, and it would be quite hard to get to them now. She listened to the rest of the man's story, but it all sounded too convenient. She let him off the hook, saying she was going to take in the sights for a few days and then return back to Bothwell. The man had been all too eager to see her to the door, offering his apologies and asking that she give her best to her employer. She went to a tailor and purchased a vest and breeches for a young boy, then got a room at a nearby tavern. She paid her silver and explained to the barkeep, in no uncertain terms, what would happen to him if she detected anything amiss in her room while she slept or came back from her business. She entered her room and disrobed down to nothing, then shifted from the mercenary to herself. She put on a flimsy white shirt, and then slipped the vest and pants on, then shifted again. This time, her hair grew into long, wavy, golden locks. Her waist thinned, and her hips and chest grew out, her cleavage straining the shirt. The pants almost became a second skin, so tight and smooth they were against her. She looked in the mirror. It made information gathering so much easier she adjusted the vest and drawstring of the pants a bit more to make sure they were hanging open in all the right ways. She slid the majority of her belongings under the bed, setting a purse on the nightstand with a nasty surprise in it, if anyone felt so adventurous while she was out. She replaced a dagger and a sheaf on her lower back, grabbed a few spare coins, which she dropped into a neck purse that nestled between her bosoms, and then opened the door and eyed outside. The hallway was empty. She snuck out the door and down the stairs to the back of the tavern. A few patrons were playing at dice, and another was chatting with a bored-looking barmaid. She crept like a cat, making herself as unobtrusive as possible. She slipped by the stables on her way out to see that the stable boy had left food for her horse, and then made her way out into the streets to see what she could find they made it so easy she almost felt sorry for them. Almost. A trip to the theater had been the most beneficial. She asked about for a fellow that had a striking resemblance to the man dragged by the cart, saying it had been her lover. She played the part of a ditzy, wounded maiden who was now left to fend for herself, trying to piece together what had happened to her lover, which was all too easy. Flashed the average man a little skin, and they were putty in her hands, especially if it was something that could do no risk to themselves. Most of the people in the area had remembered the event. Nothing out of the ordinary, but she came across one man who had produced a little dart that he said fell out of the carriage as it to by. A wink and a lean over, and a few silver spilled from her pouch, bought her the dart from the rather distracted fellow. She made her way to the rat, where a couple of watchmen were still clearing away the wreckage of the carriage. She explained she was looking for a ring she had given the man, pleaded and begged and batted her eyelashes at them, until they hummed and hawed and blushed and told her she could take a look, but to be careful. They were worried she could hurt herself on something dangerous. They offered to escort her around, but she giggled and declined, making her way about the area. When she pulled aside a curtain that lay ahead of the path that the carriage had gone toward, they told her nothing got that far. She explained that the ring could have rolled off. "'Suit yourself, Missy. Hope you're not scared of the dark,' one of the watchmen said. "'Well, if I need help, one of you big, strong men will come to my aid, won't you?' she said. "'Ay, of course, Miss. We'll rush in at the first sound of danger. Do you need us to hold the curtain open?' No, it's all right. If I need to, I'll just get down on my hands and knees and crawl around. Well, um, I'll leave you to it, then. one watchman said, looking embarrassed. You know where we are if you need anything. Of course. She let the smile slip from her face as she entered through the curtain. She let her form shift back to her own, scanning the room with her eyes drawing out the details of the room with the use of the tiniest fraction of light creeping in under the curtain. She was drawn to some minor scratches on the floor that seemed to have started out in the room behind her and trailed into here. As she crept closer, she knelt down, seeing the lightest hint of footprints disturbing a slight layer of ash and dirt on the floor. Something else, too. She sniffed the air then ran her hand across the ground until she came across something sand-like. She rubbed her fingers together, feeling the coarse texture of grit, then sniffed. She went back to ground, following the light scratches in the stone, spotting the occasional metal granule. The trail stopped at a corner near the back of the room. An amateur job for subpar detective work, she noted, turning her head to where the two guards stood behind the curtain. She looked around one more time, then shifted back to her busty figure, making sure the costume was in place. No luck, she sighed, wiping her hands off on the front of her shirt. "Uh, Do you want us to look for it, miss? one of the guards offered. No, it's all right, I'll survive, though it pains my chest that the ring wasn't there. Might there be a chance I could check his person? Did he have any personal belongings on him? I don't rightly know, miss. I It's Shauna. You can call me Shauna. <laughs> okay, Shauna. You'd have to check back at the watch. You could talk to Officer Morin. He'd probably want to speak with you anyway. He'd had a hard, hard darn time, pardon my language, finding anything out about that guy. Ugh. "'That sounds great. Would one of you two men accompany me back there? "'I just don't feel safe walking on these streets all by my lonesome.' "'She batted her eyes and pursed her lips into a bit of a pout as she spoke. "'Certainly, Miss Shawna, we—' "'Just Shawna is fine.' "'I wouldn't feel right addressing a lady by just her first name.' "'It's all right, officer. It would make me so much more comfortable.' if that's all right with you.' <sighs> "'Well, all right then, Miss Shana er, Shawna. It'd be our pleasure to escort you back to the watch.' "'Ah, <sighs> you authority types are just so hospitable in these parts,' she said, offering a smile and giving each a hug. "'So are we ready?' she asked, clinging to one of each guard's arms. "'Yes, ma'am,' The trip to the watch turned out to be a great help. She found Officer Morn to be a bit of a dim fellow, and after talking to most of the watchmen she met at the place, she wondered how anything ever got accomplished, let alone solved. Making up the background for the man found dead at the scene had been easy, as she pulled on the memories of one of her other various forms to answer any questions. The corpse took on a name, a background, occupation, friends all from far away. He was an orphan, of course, and he had been in town on business, scouting the mark to see if it was viable to set up shop. They gave her a few coins that had been found on his person and told her where he was buried. She inquired about the two passengers in the cart, and when she said she wanted to pay her respects, they were all too happy to let her know where they were buried as well. It was a shame, really. Father died a bit ago captain of the watch. Excellent fellow, that. Wife's asleep and can't wake up. Some medical witchery. And then the son and daughter just die. Shame. They were related, she asked. She could tell he was lying, but why? Why mislead her? Was this officer playing dumb, or did he know something? She chatted him up a bit, learned that they were not really related, but they had been good friends. Her family had all died in a fire and buried in a mass grave, since they had neither lineage or money. The girl had been taken care of by Christian and his family for the short time they had together, and the watchman felt like it was proper she got a former burial and the like, so they had laid her to rest in the Telpins' family plot. When she finished up at the watch, she made her way back to the tavern where she was staying. She snuck back up through the stable making her way to her room without being seen. She took off her clothes, shifted back to normal, then pulled her bags out from under the bed and dug out her adventuring gear from earlier. She pulled it on and shifted to Marcus, then went downstairs to eat. She spent a few hours talking and getting to know the regulars. No one struck her interest, so she returned to her room to get some sleep before she went back out for the evening. She awoke later that night, the moon already in full rise in the dark sky. She rose from her bed and shifted again. Her skin tone turned from tan to dark brown, almost a black hue. Her hairline receded into her skull until there was none to be seen. She shortened a little and her muscles went from bulging to lean and wiry. Junswey was a traveling performer she had met while spending some time in Milan. She had considered herself limber, but Junsway could contort his body in ways that made her gasp. She bent over and pulled on a black pair of shorts from her bag, then stuffed a small leather shirt and pants into the small knapsack, which she tied off around her waist. She could barely see herself in the mirror, which was the desired effect, his dark complexion perfect for a night travel. A client of hers had once asked if she ever felt silly going out in so little. At the time, she had been wearing nothing but mud and paint, and a simple strip of fabric around her chest, while she had to make her way across miles of jungle. When no one sees you, it doesn't really matter what you're wearing, does it? She had said. The man had pondered that, the answer never having occurred to him. His curious nature had also led him to ignore her rule about not disturbing her things, and he died a short, violent death at the hands of a coin purse left sitting on her bed. She opened the window to the third-story room. A room this high up had two benefits. Most people did not try to break in through third-story windows, and it usually afforded a view to second-story roofs nearby. She took a few steps back then ran and leapt headfirst out the window. Her hands hit the roof of the building next door, going into a forward roll before springing back up onto her feet. She'd forgotten how much she loved this body, every muscle a tight, wound coil waiting to act. From her location, she saw she could take roofs most of the way to the cemetery. She knew she could just disguise herself as anyone and walk there, but it would take longer and it was light enough that she wanted to avoid patrols on the street. And neither was as much fun as this. She sprinted, leapt, and catapulted herself across the rooftops of Colmont. She passed a few less-than-upstanding-looking citizens, but in the time it took them to realize someone was there, she was past them, making only the lightest of noises as she barreled by. The trip was altogether shorter than she wished, and she saw the church spires ahead. It was too far from the nearest building to the church, but she did spot some trees in the cemetery nearby. "'Who hangs out at a graveyard at night?' she told herself as she turned to line herself up with what looked to be the closest tree. She smiled as she ran, as fast as she could, then threw her body forward into the air. She brought her arms across her chest and twisted her torso enough to set a slight spin to her airborne flight. The sky and ground blinked through her vision as she careened across the street, clearing the fence to the graveyard. She reached out as far as she could, but Jensway's arms were not long enough. She felt fingertips scratch bark before she continued plummeting to the ground. She tucked and rolled, her shoulder hitting the ground first. She felt a slight dulling pain, then the crunch of bones breaking. She continued to roll half a dozen feet, coming to rest on a soft patch of grass near a series of headstones. She closed her eyes and winced. Then she got to her knees and crawled behind one of the larger headstones, lying against it away from the street. She let her body shift back to its native form, feeling her tendons in her shoulder start to stitch themselves back together, aligning the bones. The healing hurt worse than the injury, but she was used to it after the hundreds of times nothing more than an inconvenient nuisance to her at best. Ten minutes later, she was feeling fine. She shifted again to Brenna and pulled out, a leather sh- pulled out the leather shirt and pants, looking like some street urchin. She found most townsfolk to be a superstitious lot, and anyone spotting a little girl wandering a graveyard at night was more likely to run, crying to the watch, or to their own bed before going to investigate. She walked around, checking headstones. A quick scan around, and she saw what she was looking for. A wheelbarrow with some dirt and a few shovels. The dirt on the ground was still loose. She walked over and knelt down. One read, Christian Telpins, 1289, 1304. And the smaller one next to it read, Erica DeBay. 1291 to 1304. The stone on the other side was bigger. It had Thomas Telpin's watch captain, husband, father, in memory, 1262-1304. There was a space below it, she assumed for the wife, for when her sickness claimed her. She stood up and looked at her hands, then at the shovels. Seeing no one, she shifted back to Jensway, "'grabbed a shovel and began digging up Erica's grave. "'She spent the better part of an hour digging "'until she hit something lumpy. "'She looked down to see burlap. "'As she leaned over, the smell hit her. "'Rod and decay. "'She was surprised by how much, "'which supported her theory that brought her here in the first place. "'She set the shovel down and grasped the bag in her hands, "'grabbing fistfuls in each hand, then pulling her arms apart in a twisting motion. The weak fabric tore, giving her access to the inside. The body had been buried without any proper wrappings. She felt around inside for a hand. Finding one, she tugged until it was sticking out of the tear. She looked around once more, then shifted back to herself. She lifted the hand, holding its wrist in one, then tipped the dead girl's thumb with the other. She lowered her head to the girl's thumb, opening her mouth, and then biting down, tearing off a piece of flesh along the side. The death rot was not a surprise. Anyone buried outside royalty would have it hours after being put in the ground, the lack of any preservative inviting the agent that would return the body to the soil. But there was something else. She felt her body's defenses kicking in, destroying the intruder. Something old. She tried to remember where she had had this reaction before. A port? Maybe a desert? It was a more aggressive disease, taking her body almost a full six minutes to rid itself of the contaminant. Lasner's? It was rare. A disease passed from mother to child. It was contracted by blood, but it left signs. If Erica had Lasner's, people would have known. She was positive now positive enough to look further into the trail under the rat. She shifted back to Jensway and put the dirt back, covering up the body. Afterwards, she took some handfuls of dirt to spread back on top. As she was doing that, she felt a tingle go up the back of her spine. She turned. What she saw was not a man, but a wolf. It stood near the outskirts of town, walking back and forth by a few trees. She felt a little better. Nothing to see here, boy, she smiled. She waved at the wolf. It watched her. She was struck by its eyes, not yellow, but violet. She thought for a moment, then gathered up her things and approached closer. She walked past the shoddy fence that marked the perimeter of the cemetery, still several yards from where the wolf stood and watched her, its gaze never leaving. She continued forward until only a dozen or so steps separated the two. It continued to stare. She crouched down, watching the animal with interest. Do I know you? she asked. The wolf cocked its head to the side. She motioned for it to come forward, but it just paced side to side, keeping its eyes on her. She got up and continued forward, at which point it turned and ran, howling into the night. She thought of pursuing, but decided against it, moving back to the shelter and shadows of the cemetery. That was foolish, she chided herself. Most of the lights and windows were out as she scanned the profile of the city, but some were on. No one would recognize her, but she had not lived as long as she had by being careless. Once she got back to the inn, Junzwe would need to make himself scarce for the rest of her business here. She decided to take the streets back. She was a little more brazen in her travels, but she did not plan on using this form anymore. There could only be so many Linnies in the city anyway. Let the watch chase them if need be. Aside from spooking a few drunks, the return trip was simple. She made her way back to the roof of the house across the street and leapt the distance back into the inn, catching the windowsill she left open in her room. Once inside, she pulled the curtains and shifted again, stripping off her clothes. She took the shirt and wiped her body down with it, trying to get off most of the dirt and grime from the night. She reclined on her bed, leaning over to pull her bag from underneath. She went through her pouches and produced the dart gotten from the man in the marketplace. It was small, smaller than even one fired from a hand crossbow. Maybe a blowgun. But its range was limited, maybe ten feet at best. The residue on the tip indicated an irritant from her testing. By her estimate, it should have crippled a man, but from all reports, no such instance had occurred that day. But the dose should also have served well for spooking a large animal. She sighed as she realized she needed to check with the local hospice or Majir about cases of lasners in the area. She needed to be dressed well, maybe as a fellow student. She had brought nothing that nice with her, And tailors who made outfits of that quality, she found, did not often trade their wares for what Shauna, or the dozen or so other beauties she had at her disposal, had to offer, which meant spending real coin. It did not matter. The results of this job were worth a dozen suits. She replaced the darts in her things, then pulled the sheet up on the bed and went to sleep. Good, good. Fatima said as she pressed forward, stabbing forward with the wooden pole, alternating between left and right jabs. Erica went through a series of backflips, twisting left and right to avoid the bruising end of the spear. The tip was blunt, but that did not make the hits any less painful. Erica saw she was about to run out of mat, so she pivoted on her hand and sprung to the left. Fatima was there, waiting, the staff coming out low. Erica flexed her muscles lifting her hands and feet upward as the staff swung under her body missing her stomach she then dropped to all fours and rolled to the right as fatima brought the staff down in an overhand swing she used the momentum to pivot again until her feet were under her and then she pulled her rapier from her hip sheath fatima swung her staff sideways and down coming in at erica's shoulder erica saw the swing coming but moved too slow to counter So instead, she spun the pommel in her hand so that the blade ran parallel to her forearm and held on. She put her hand up to block the incoming swing, letting the rapier's blade take the brunt of the hit. The next moment, she was on the floor, clutching her wrist in pain. The rapier blade is meant for poking and deflection, not blocking. You break your arm that way against something really swinging. I know. I couldn't get it up fast enough. Then you should be practicing footwork, not blade work. I know. Erica, listen. You small and, well, small. Small even for girl. All the training you learn still be very tough to beat big, strong man at your age. Body lack muscle. You still growing. All this goes against you. Fatima offered Erica a hand, which she took. She pulled Erica to her feet. Focus on your strengths, speed, agility. Be small. Make you small target to hit. Don't fight like big guy. Fight like small girl. Constant movement. But how will I ever be able to help Jenner and Christian if I can't hit back? Erica said, a little perturbed. By annoying them. I think I already do that, she sighed. Not them, your opponents. Annoy them enough to not ignore you. If you, Christian, and Jenner fight five people, it's three on five. But if you can distract three of them who can't hit you, it's now two-on-two and three-on-one. But Jenner, excellent fighter. Best Ramzan I've trained. He can handle any one or two. If you can tie up two, three, or even four people, you no need to hit them. I can barely keep you from hitting me, and you expect me to fend off three or four attackers? Erica asked, sounding doubtful. Trust me, you not fight much. Fending me off like fending off six warriors," Fatima said with a smile. You do fine. Your potential great, but your confidence, not so great. Both improve with practice. Thanks, Fatima, Erica said, giving her a hug. Do not thank me. Doodle me. Yes, Fatima, Erica said, smiling. Sheathing her rapier and stretching a bit before crouching down, she signaled Fatima that she was ready for another lesson. He had not been able to practice as much as he wanted to, or how he wanted to, more to the point. Christian walked over to the target and retrieved his bolts, reloading his little crossbow. Ever since the accident, he or Erica were not allowed out in the courtyard anymore, as the number of taller nearby buildings gave a decent vantage point inside. Erica was fine with it, as she spent most of her time with Fatima down in the basement. But Christian had a serious range limitation. The longest room in Jenner's mansion was 60 feet. He was accurate at that distance, able to hit most targets, moving or not. He had asked if he could put up some targets in the hallway outside the secret passageway, but Jenner said it was out of the question. His next idea had been to practice in one of the hallways, as a few tended to be quite long, running almost the length of the mansion. It had gone well for a few hours, until Mrs. Fensworth had walked in. He had shattered a pitcher of tea and given Miss Fensworth the scare of her life. In his defense, he had pointed to the sign he had posted as a warning. It had not swayed Mrs. Fensworth from giving him a lecture of his life, making him feel both guilty and homesick. So intense was her delivery that it reminded him of when he would do something to incur a lecture from his father. So here he was in one of the spare rooms, shooting at heavy padded bullseyes. Miss Fensworth had not been thrilled at anything being shot at the walls, but after speaking with Jenner, it was the only compromise to be found. Is there anything I can get you to eat? Melanie asked, sitting on a chair near the door, hands crossed on her lap smiling at Christian. "'I'm fine, really,' he said. "'The blackberry cobbler you made for me earlier was excellent. "'Do you want another?' "'No, er, yes, please,' he said, sighing, looking away from her. "'Right away. It'll just be a few minutes,' she said, getting up and spinning toward the door, heading out with a bounce in her step. Christian set his crossbow down and sighed looking at the floor. He used to think Melanie was a little overbearing before, but now she was like his shadow. He thought she was a great girl and all, but he had a hard time giving her the attention she wanted with everything that was going on. Christian tried to clear thoughts of her from his head, redoubling his concentration. He fired off a few more shots, but decided it was for naught. From this range, it was just too easy. He took a breath and looked at the crossbow, then to one of the couches in the room. Maybe I should just sit down and get to know her better, he thought. All he ever did was try to occupy her doing other things, but maybe some actual face-to-face time would do more. He had never really seen if Tudor and her had helped, as he had disappeared later that day. Ah, uh, that could do it, he thought, pulling the ottoman over to the couch, using it as a makeshift table he left his crossbow on the table and then left, getting the supplies he needed from his room. He hoped the crossbow being there would be enough for Melanie to realize he would be back, if she happened to finish in the kitchen before he returned. The sun had just set. Wearing the guise of Marcus, the assassin headed downstairs to grab a bite to eat, talking a bit with the barmaid on staff that night. After making small talk, she got up and left, heading back toward the marketplace and to the room in the rat she had explored earlier. No one was about when she got there, a sign that any investigation was done as far as the watch was concerned. She walked around the ground floor a bit, looking around. She made her way in and out of a few shambled rooms and changed the amount of time she spent in each one. Just a little extra caution, she told herself. She stayed in what looked like a dilapidated storage room until it grew darker. She spent the time checking her equipment, making sure each dagger held a keen edge, and that everything was secure. Only a few rays of light crested the horizon when she decided to resume her journey. She found a large hole in what looked to be a restroom that led downstairs, so she opted to use that route rather than go back outside near the entrance. She backtracked her way until she found herself in the large room where the carriage had crashed, then made her way back over to the curtains. She shifted back to normal, letting her eyes drink in the wisps of light, giving detail to the otherwise dark chamber. She walked to the far wall where the scrapes on the floor stopped. She felt around the wall. Her eyesight showed minor spots where there was less heat than others, most likely due to being constructed near metal beams. Or places where the masonry was thinner. A couple minutes of searching rewarded her with two loose stones, which she was able to manipulate. She listened, surprised at the craftsmanship when the floor began to pivot. Maybe not so amateur, she thought to herself, remembering her earlier statement. The floor came to a stop as she entered a new room. She tested the stones again, which spun and deposited her back in the room she started. She turned them once more, going back to the new room. She saw the trail pick up on the ground again. She theorized they had stacked whatever they had been pushing, based off the narrow trail and the footprints that were somewhat visible in the dust. Footprints that were not disturbed by the passing of whatever had been moved. The trail went on for a bit, though a few doors and hallways, until she found herself in what she thought was part of the sewer. It was pitch black. She closed her eyes, focusing more on temperature than light, blinking a few times. It made little difference. Only the barest outline of the hall became visible to her, the air cooler than the walls of the tunnel. The floor was damp as well, and any sign of the dragged object had blurred. No one or thing had been in the passageway for a few days, at the least. She started walking down one of the side hallways, hand on the wall, eyes shifting from the center of the hallway to the wall, back and forth. She walked for an hour before the tunnel ended, and she started traveling back up the other side of the wall. She noted the door she had entered from and continued past it. She walked for another 30 feet before her dedication paid off. She had almost missed it. Her eyes detected a slight glowing area of bricks. She had seen it enough to know it foretold of a room on the other side its temperature giving the bricks around it a warmer hue, causing it to glow to her eyes. She scanned the section of the wall, running her fingertips along the crevices. She stopped when she felt a slight draft. She ran her nails along one of the bricks, feeling the air coming out from between them. Then she ran her fingers along the breach, finding that it ran a few feet short of the height of the wall she started feeling the stones, looking for one similar to the earlier secret passage. The heated room beyond made it more difficult for her to visually pick out a triggering stone, but her patience was rewarded. She gave a slight tug on a stone, which revealed a mechanical lock of sorts. She extended her needled fingers into the opening and severed the gears, causing the door to swing open. She tilted her head, her wrist on her other arm, letting a dagger slip into her grasp. She felt old smoke enter her nostrils, the waft of burnt coal and timber, then the rather more pungent smell of body odor. She let out a low whistle, listening, judging the room to be small, smaller than any of the other rooms. She felt around the wall near her until she found a sconce. Next she pushed the wall closed behind her, then took a stone and flint from her pack, striking it. Close, so very close, she said, letting a smile crease her lips as the burning sconce illuminated the room. Two steel caskets were piled to one side. One had a hole that had been melted through the top. She looked inside but saw no blood, only some small granular substance, more of what she had found outside under the rat. There was a bed and shelf with some stored goods and a footlocker. Part of the wall by the bed was pushed away. She walked over and stood by the bed, pushing on the wall. It swung open without a sound. She stepped over the corner of the bed and peered past the other hidden door, a wooden stairway leading somewhere above. She replaced the dagger in its sheath and went back into the small room. She stripped her outfit off, going to her bag and pulling out a servant's outfit. She was not sure if the style was right, but she was hoping it would pass under light scrutiny. She shifted to Brenna and put it on, fixing her brown hair a little bit, putting on socks and shoes. She added a pair of glasses and a few hairpins. The glasses were cosmetic, but were a good cosmetic choice to appear non-threatening. Then she replaced the dagger under her sleeves and packed her things back up. She questioned the logic of leaving her bag here, but there was nothing telling in it. She jumped up to blow out the sconce, then jumped over the bed and crept up the stairs. At the top of the steps, she came to a wooden door. She pressed her ear to it, hearing nothing beyond. She turned the knob until she heard a click and pulled. It opened into what looked like a storage closet, shelves of blankets, and a few cleaning implements. Light spilled in from under the door opposite her. She maneuvered across the small room, checking the next door again, nothing. She tried the handle and it gave, opening out. She pushed enough to peek out. Another room lay beyond. She opened that door. It appeared to be a den or living room. There were a dozen or so padded chairs around a couple of tables. Various paintings hung on the walls. There were two doorways on the wall to her left. She slipped her hand from the handle to the opposite side of the door and found nothing. She turned to see that it was not a door that she stepped out from, but an armoire. She looked around the perimeter of the armoire, spotting the latch she was looking for. She pressed on the latch again and again, scanning the vicinity of the room, until she saw part of a floral decoration move on an embossed arrangement of wooden flowers. She closed the door behind her, then stepped over to the flowers and pulled on the stem she saw move. The secret passage behind her opened with a click. She smiled. She checked the two doors, both unlocked. Listening, she could hear footsteps outside, either a child or a young woman from the sounds of it. She went over and listened to the far door again, then locked it. She pulled one chair from a table and braced it against the unlocked door. Then she took another chair and laid it down in the center of the room, toward the middle, directly in front of the door she had left unhindered. Last, she went and sat down behind the door and waited. Hello, and thank you for listening to the World of Grey podcast. For any questions about the podcast or the books in general, email me at podcast at josephporthos.com. My two books, Fallen Throne and Dark Halo, are available for download on the Amazon Kindle store for the low price of $3 apiece. I don't output a ton of updates, but when I do release one, you can find it on Facebook at Joseph Porthos, or on my website located at josephporthos.com. I hope you enjoyed today's chapter, and I look forward to you tuning in again next time. This is Joseph Porthos, signing off.